And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I do have to tell you, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Definitely check them out if you are looking to build a a product, a software product. Um, They can definitely do some really great work for you. So today, um, super excited about this conversation. I was actually telling our guest before we hit the record button, uh, because we're going to be talking to Atticus LeBlanc. He is founder and CEO of PadSplit, and uh, I'm just so excited to talk to Atticus because we're going to be discussing, well, we're going to be discussing affordable housing. We're going to be discussing, you know, technology and how we can empower individuals to to connect, to solve uh, shared housing model issues and, and helping people get get connected to housing. And I, I'm really excited about that because that speaks to something that is very near and dear to our hearts at Startup Hustle, which is access, removing barriers to entry, helping people live well, um, all of these things that we love. Atticus, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here. Yay! I, I, I always love uh, when when our guests are excited to be on the show. It makes me really happy. Uh, so. Here is, well, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to give you the softball question, my friend. Here it comes. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey. Uh, so um, uh, my name is Atticus. I was named after Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, for anyone wondering. Uh, I of am course a, you were. Yeah. Uh, happily married, father of four boys uh, here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And I am the founder and CEO of PadSplit. I've uh, been a longtime entrepreneur uh, going on 16 years now. Wow, that that's impressive. Um, I, you know, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. So people who are OGs who've been around for a while always impress me. I'm like, you, you have a high tolerance for stress. <laughs> like when you say that to me, that's what I, that's what I know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's true. Uh, you know, I think uh, I was actually just talking to another entrepreneur before this call and uh, talking about the the value of just surviving and survive long enough to see the opportunities and the analogy I like to give is uh, make sure that you can uh, you can feed yourself with minnows while you're out whale hunting because um, otherwise oh, you man I love that did you come up with that I think so uh, I don't no remember. way I'm totally I'm writing that down I told you I have a pad a, a pad and a pen here I'm writing that down sure. I love that. I've at least been saying it long enough where I'm ready to take credit. For that you know one. what? I, I will credit you moving forward. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that belongs to you. Well, so so Atticus, uh, tell us tell us about PadSplit. I know that you are a Startup Hustle Top Atlanta company, and we are very excited about that. Congratulations on, on the acknowledgement and recognition. 
Thank but you. tell us, tell us about PadSplit. What do you do? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so uh, essentially, what we do is is furnished room rentals in a, in a nutshell. Um, to be a little more provocative, we uh, we share housing uh, so that uh, we make it more affordable uh, and more profitable simultaneously. And you you move strangers in together uh, is the the TLDR. And uh, really, the the idea is I've been uh, in the sixteen years I've been an entrepreneur. It's, it's mostly been in the housing space. Uh, and primarily in the uh, the affordable housing sector. And the two major issues to solving affordable housing are one, you need to increase supply. Uh, and sure. two, you need to uh, you need to improve access and remove a lot of those barriers to entry. And shared housing was the most direct way uh, and the the fastest and most cost effective way that I thought we could solve uh, both of those issues. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's, in a nutshell, uh, what we do, it's, um, it is a marketplace. So we find folks who have housing. Uh, traditionally, that has been investors who are focused on the bottom line and demonstrated to them how through a shared housing model, uh, we can actually create spaces that are more affordable, but because they are shared, uh, they they also improve the bottom line for those investors. And uh, if it's more profitable for those investors, then uh, the idea is that they go out and create more. And, and uh, the more opportunities that, that we can create uh, for folks who um, who don't have access to other traditional housing opportunities. Yeah. Well, so, so you've really created a win. Actually, you've, I was going to say you've created a win-win, but you've actually created a win-win-win because communities where people are housed are healthier. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, you, you kind of touched on it, but talk to us about I, there is an affordable housing crisis in our country. And I want to hear, can you give us some context around that? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, at the end of the day, the most important thing that I would uh, I would want listeners to focus on is uh, this, this comes back to the fundamental law of supply and demand. And uh, we have been undersupplying our housing stock for a very long period of time. Uh, this well predates the the pandemic, and I mean, we started to see early indications uh, when I started investing in real estate in two thousand eight. Um, but even before then, uh, it, it was an issue, uh, and specifically an issue for folks that are earning, call it less than forty thousand dollars a year, uh, where you have both a lack of supply and uh, real inhibit real inhibitors to to access. So uh, it's been with us for a long, long time, and and I mean you can even go back to the the 1950s and 60s where uh, the the housing production paradigm was focused on uh, two parents, two kids living in the suburbs, uh, and the reality is the our our demography of the country has changed dramatically and, and started shifting then. So when this was the product that was pr predominantly being built, uh, you you weren't creating the supply that was necessary uh, for the the singles, the couples, uh, even the single parents. Uh, that that was a much better reflection of the people who actually needed housing. Right. Yeah, I, I was actually I was scrolling mindlessly through Facebook this morning and saw a it was a meme, of course, but it said something along the lines. It showed a picture of a house and it said this house 
uh, when it was originally built was worth, you know, $69,000. And then uh, today it is worth $250,000. The annual teacher's salary when this house was built was $65,000. It has increased to $69,000. So there's a, there's an economic disparity in housing prices as, as, correlated to cost of living, for sure. And so the fact that you are addressing that uh, is really, really important. And, and I just want to say thank you for, for doing that. Um, of we created a mechanism that empowers people. Like when we talk about you know, Maslow's hierarchy of need, you think of those base needs, shelter, food, huh. um, you know, health, things like that. Um, you know, housing is is right there. It's so important. And having people, helping people to feel secure, helping people to, you know, have a place to put their stuff and lay their head and take a shower. And it, it's just yeah. crucial to, well, it, it, it's so many levels. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it goes even deeper than that. I mean, one of the things that we, we say a lot is uh, just the, a core belief that the people who serve our communities deserve at least an opportunity to live in them. And uh, I think that the general public uh, is largely unaware that you can have full-time employment and not have any housing access uh, yeah. in almost every city in America. Uh, and it, that's, it's just fundamentally wrong. Um, but that there are, there are a lot of, uh, of systemic reasons that have led to that reality. Uh, sure. And, and we're, we're doing what we can to, to address them. I mean, two quick highlights, as I mentioned um, just to, to frame the problem for folks, you look at single family housing specifically, uh, and the, the average new home size uh, over the last 60 years has tripled. Uh, so we're, we're building houses now that are roughly three times the size that they were uh, 50, 60 years ago. Uh, but at the same time, you look at family sizes and they've declined more than 20% to the point where now, uh, if you look at our housing stock today, about 12.5% of, of total housing stock are studios and one-bedroom apartments, uh, but 73% plus of the population uh, would be in, in the, the right like family size grouping uh, to be in demand for that housing. So you, you have a, a population that's 73% of, of all folks here in the U.S. Uh, competing effectively for what is 12.5% of, uh, of housing stock, or at least is, is right-sized for 12.5% of housing stock. And so there's a real mismatch, mismatch there. And, uh, and really what, what we try to do is, is just to create that supply by rethinking how we are using uh, the, the housing that already exists that's just in these much yeah. larger spaces that can be reconfigured. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. And I, 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 recently, I recently watched a webinar um, and it was actually put on by an architectural firm here in the Kansas City area. And they were talking about the fact that uh, not only are we dealing with, you know, housing discrepancies and market discrepancies, but we're also dealing with a, a an infrastructure problem. The fact that our our city centers tend to be the places like cities that have urban cores, um, where we talk about folks who who have there are a lot of distressed properties and there are some socioeconomically depressed areas, and but these are the areas that actually tend to fund our suburbs. And so here in our country, we're experiencing a sprawl problem because we have um, population density in our cities. And so the tax base and the tax dollars are, are coming 
out of these areas at a at a higher rate and they are used being used to fund you know things like roads and things like um you know i don't know lights and and all of those things that taxes sure. pay for and so so we're looking at a lot of different disparities um systemic issues that are inhibiting people's ability to to be housed affordably comfortably um, and it's just, it's really, it's crazy. And, and, and I love the fact that you've come up with a, you've, you're coming up with a solution, you know, and the solution that you have, it's not, you're not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but you are disrupting people's access to it. You know, you think about, um, you know, families in countries around the world and you see multi-generations living in the same house. Well, in, in America, we don't really have that here. Um, you know, we have one family per home. We have single people per home. And so using the shared housing model, it's 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 actually a little disruptive. Um, and it, how yeah. did you how did you come to that? Can you talk to us about your process? I mean, I want to be very careful to disclaim that that in no way is is shared housing my idea. I mean, it's we've been doing it since we lived together in caves, uh, two hundred thousand years ago when uh, when when humans were were first you know arrived on the scene. But um, but even in in the U.S., I mean, you look back a hundred years, uh, and it was very common. Uh, yeah. My uh, one of the uh, the stories I find interesting uh, is I, I talked to my mother about this recently, and her godfather uh, was a a laborer who rented a room from her grandmother, uh, and uh, her grandmothers on both sides of her family rented rooms in their homes, and it was just second nature. It was just a thing that sure. people did. And if you go back and you look at historic architecture. Uh, throughout the U.S. and even in, in many suburbs, uh, houses were designed to have rooms available to rent to workers. Uh, and today we look at it, or I think certainly a lot of suburban populations look at it as anathema, but the reality is it was totally commonplace and, and totally accepted pre-World War II and, and pre the, the suburbanization and this, this uh, single-family uh, uh, kind of 1950s, 1960s mindset of the the car and the garage and the uh, again the, the the family living in the home with the backyard, the nuclear uh, family with the white picket fence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but it, it was uh, that we're, we're living with the vestiges of the 50s and 60s and not of the uh, teens and 20s and 30s uh, and and even the 40s. Sure. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 really powerful. I think probably a lot of it gets to pop culture and just the advent of television and a lot of what what those families saw and the the uh, uh, kind of social and cultural fabric of the uh, of the of the sixties. But um, but yeah, his, it's not at all historic. And what what we're doing is really trying to get back to the way that our cities. Uh, were developed and the way that our societies have lived, uh, not just for the last hundred years, but for for thousands and thousands of years. Right. And just trying to introduce technology so that we can rebuild the trust uh, with uh, uh, with our community that that has largely been eroded just just in recent memory. Yeah. Well, so so talk to us 
talk to us a little bit about the platform. I, I'm really curious. You're you're connecting all of these different entities. You're connecting, you know, renters, you're you're connecting property owners, you know, you're involving the community. Talk to us a little bit about specifically about how the platform works. Yeah. Uh, so, so the main thing is uh, on. Um, I'll take it first from the uh, the owner side because that's that's reasonably easy, uh, and uh, a, a property investor or real estate owner is generally motivated by the bottom line, and um, what they need from us is the ability to uh, fill those spaces with qualified leads who are. Um, going to going to pay and and not destroy the home, uh, and so that's that's the first thing and really the, the three sure. things that they're primarily concerned about. Uh, it's much more complex on the resident side, who we refer to internally as as members, because we want them to think of this as more than just housing, more than just a room, and, and we offer some other services as well, including uh, access to telemedicine and credit reporting, and uh, may include wow. as well. But, uh, but for those folks, the, and that's really where it gets interesting, um, a typical housing arrangement would require a pretty significant upfront deposit uh, and then rent payable on the first of the month. Uh, and then you've got to furnish the property and you've got to set up utilities for the property. Uh, and then you have to pay all these things on different dates. And so from, uh, from a user experience standpoint, we wanted to, number one, remove a lot of those barriers. If we already acknowledge that a huge portion of the U.S. population doesn't have access to $400 for an emergency expense, uh, well, then that's going to dramatically limit uh, the types of housing opportunities that are, are, are relevant for them. Uh, and then if you look at how a lot of those property managers or, or landlords restrict access, they often require three times the monthly rent as an income requirement. And so what right. this means is if you say a, a quote unquote affordable apartment is $1,000 a month, well then uh, what that means is somebody's going to have to make 40 grand a year in order to qualify. Well, how many workers in America make less than $40,000 a year? Holy cow, that's a big number. Right. Uh, and, and that's at a thousand bucks a month. Our, our average all-inclusive payment, which includes furniture, utilities, Wi-Fi, laundry, um, and then uh, credit reporting and, and telemedicine is around 640 bucks a month. Wow. And, uh, the, the next thing that we did was to say, okay, well, uh, what day of the week, depending on, on when you're listening to this podcast, what day of the week is the first of next month? Uh, and unless you happen to be listening and like tomorrow is the first of the month, you're probably going to struggle to come up with what day of the week that happens to fall on. Uh, and yeah. it, it almost never has any correlation with what your payday happens to be from your job. Uh, whereas uh, I know today is Friday, for instance. And so if I happen to get paid on Friday and I have one bill that includes all of my utilities uh, and everything, and it happens to be on uh, due on that day, then I'm much more likely to pay it uh, right. and, and to be able to pay it and budget around it. Uh, and then on top of that, we said, okay, well, uh, we know that um, if we make those payments easy to remember uh, and all inclusive, uh, there's really very little risk of, of the person not making that payment, certainly dramatically reduced from what it had been in a traditional real estate rental environment. 
and so that alleviates the need for a large upfront deposit. Uh, and so now that deposit is, is really just baked into one simple move-in fee that covers the cost of, uh, of, of someone turning that room, of a landlord uh, having to, to make ready that room for the next person and cleaning and whatnot. Uh, to, to get it ready for the next person. So it's, you're talking about a, a $29 application fee, a uh, $100 move-in fee, uh, and then a, a payment that can be made either weekly uh, or, uh, or tied directly to that person's payday. So that's super easy to remember. Uh, and all of those things mean that we can provide access to a group of folks that uh, have historically not been able to have access at all. And median income for us today is around $22,000 a year um, for, for our, our members, uh, on the platform and, uh, often have, have credit that wouldn't qualify for them for, uh, for traditional housing opportunities either. Wow. That, that is absolutely, I, I have, that's incredible. I have so many questions swirling around in my head. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but, but so, so the first one, and, and, and this might be an easy one and it might not, but when you engage a new member using pad split, um, what do you have the numbers on the, the percentage of on-time payments? Uh, yeah, it's, um, so we have a fuck, an effective collections rate and have for the last three and a half years, north of 95%. Uh, and so that's, that's, That's really, amazing. Well, and when, when you see that happen, there are a lot of secondary and tertiary benefit, benefits. Like not only does this individual get to stay in their home, but the, you, you also see credit rates rise. And, yep. uh, you know, there, there's definitely some mental health uh, benefits as well. I imagine not having to worry. You're, you're simplifying it. what it can be a very convoluted, complicated process. Um, you know, ha hashtag adulting. Uh, but that's, that's amazing. I, I love that. So, so I want to ask you this, you actually, I want to ask you about 20 questions. But the first okay. one that I want to ask you is, how did you do that? When you were building the platform, and you were building the process, you have, you've streamlined and you have, I, I'm assuming you had to build up a goodwill with, you know, property owners and things like that to kind of explain, this is how this is going to work. And it sounds real weird, but it's going to work. We promise. What did that process look like? Um, so, I mean, the first thing, uh, we actually got started uh, out of a, an affordable housing ideas competition uh, with Enterprise Community Partners, who's a, a national nonprofit. Yeah. And they ran uh, they ran a contest, and that was sponsored by J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. Uh, and I just submitted this white paper because I had been experimenting with uh, shared housing for years, and and kind of saw the relative benefits. But uh, they gave us a, a grant for ten thousand dollars, and so I, I took that ten thousand dollars and converted one of my own properties um, to what I thought should be the prototypical model. And uh, I, I could prove to those investors pretty early on that this was working. Uh, and yeah. that we could have both these transformational life impacts for the people inside the home, uh, as well as a significantly improved bottom line. Uh, and that was sufficient uh, to to get the the first investors. And uh, and then when they started doing it on their own and, and listing on the platform and seeing those early successes, of course, they went out and, and did more homes uh, and told their friends. And, and it really grew organically from there. But... Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's it's it, I think it's just representative of of the product selling itself in many ways, and uh, you you have to experience it to believe it. And as soon as people experienced it, they they went on to go do more, 
and, and on average, every owner who comes onto the platform, we know uh, will do two additional homes within the, the next 12 to 18 months. That's absolutely amazing. And I do I do have to apologize to you listeners at home and to you, Atticus, because I've been so interested in what you're saying that I forgot to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And when we talk about, you know, entities and people and organizations that can that can help you. Uh, start a uh, full scale is definitely right there at the top of the list. Definitely reach out to them. They are, uh, really, really good at putting together awesome teams to help you get your product out there, uh, in, in quick and fast and efficient ways. So, so definitely check them out. Uh, we are here with Atticus LeBlanc founder and CEO of Pad Split. And I'm going to dive right back in because I'm I'm, I'm yeah. so intrigued by this whole process. Like I have this big old smile on my face because I'm just like, this sounds so cool. Uh, so, so talk to us. I want to talk about the user experience now. Like you mm -hmm. kind of explained that you are a one-stop access point for for housing and for living and and I love that but how do you how do you find your members how do you engage them how do you explain this process to them um I, I mean it's we try to be as direct as we can and uh if you if you go on the site it's it's just says fully furnished rooms for rent uh, and to your point about uh, Maslow's hierarchy I mean usually uh, when someone is new to town or uh, if they're in a job as a, uh, as a paramedic or an in-home health aide or a substitute teacher or a delivery driver of, of some sort, and they're just looking for an option that is reasonably accessible to their place of employment. Uh, and so for them, I think they, they come to us really just with a transactional need in mind that uh, they are trying to find some place where they can live independently, uh, where their other options may be uh, either living with family or um, staying with friends on their sofa or, or, or some other very substandard option or, or uh, in, in many cases, living in an extended stay motel at at least twice the cost. Uh, and so they're just looking for an option. Right. And they, they come to us because they are looking for a room for rent, um, and uh, hopefully they uh, they they realize that that we are more than just a room. And uh, in a lot of cases, uh, we get uh, we get responses much later on, uh, not having any idea that we were reporting credit, and they're um, they're they're shocked in a good way that they see their their credit scores have increased during their stay with us. And we know that more than eighty five percent of our members increase their credit scores. Uh, during their stay with us, wow! But um, but yeah, it it, it doesn't it doesn't really uh, make too much of a difference for us why why they come to us. Uh, it's really just uh, we think people need a lot more choices, and we happen to be one of those choices, and and just present ourselves as as such. And um, in in many cases, people are able to just take advantage of those opportunities and do some amazing things. We've We've had a handful of people that have actually gone on to purchase their own homes, which is amazing. We've had lots of folks that have uh, saved enough money to purchase cars or start businesses or uh, make the move that they they always wanted to make, uh, and and that's really uh, that's really inspiring for me personally, and uh, yeah. one of the reasons that uh, that I love doing this. That yeah, and you're so humble about all of this. Like I just I just want to call that out. Something else that I want to call out 
And, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, when you're talking about working with marginalized communities, whether that is socioeconomic or racial or gender based, or you know, one of the things that that we talk about um, in in I guess kind of quote unquote DEI diversity equity inclusion circles, we talk about building generational wealth, um, and that is that is a way that we decrease systemic disparities. And, and so I just want to highlight the point, bring it home, say it again, that that what you are doing by providing a soft place for people to land and helping people to build their credit and housing people, you are you are not only helping the individual in that moment, but you're building a pipeline to to building that generational wealth. You just said that people who were were guests and members with you have then gone on to build or to buy their own house. And and the thing is, one of the first stops on the the generational wealth train is owning property, right? Because when you own property, you build equity. So so that you are creating an opportunity by by solving, serving the first step on, on that journey. Um, and so I just think it's really, really important to talk about that. Cause when we talk about removing barriers, barriers to entry, um, clearly that's hugely important to you. And, and I think it's really important that we call that out and acknowledge and honor the work that you're doing to start people on that journey. Um, so again, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say, thank you. I have this big old well, shit eating grin on my face. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate it. I mean, although seriously, uh, it's, like it's not it's not my story, right? I mean, I uh, I often hear about these things and and uh, the uh, the kind of transformational uh, life stories from from these members, but I I played very little role, right? I mean, uh, of course, you're uh, a steward. We well, I mean, we first first and foremost, um, I I have an incredible team who who helps make everything work, and and I am the first to admit that. I'm I'm an ideas guy and a creative problem solver, but to to build the structure, uh, I usually rely on on other folks to do that. But even more important than that, uh, the the best thing that we can do is is to create opportunities. Uh, but it's really uh, incumbent on uh, those members or those hosts uh, to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, and sure. the best thing that we can do is really just provide more choices than than those that are otherwise available and that's the most empowering impactful thing that i think we can do uh we can't force people to take advantage of of those opportunities but sure. we're we're fortunate to see that that a lot of folks do and and uh it is uh it's inspiring to see that uh, see see when they do and um i i owe a lot of uh, my own uh, kind of personal career success to a lot of those opportunities that I had early on uh, and uh, just would, would love to see more and more people uh, have access to those same types of opportunities. For sure. Well, and, and I would reiterate that you're very humble and I think that's, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, when I talk about innovator, people are always like, oh, it's such a great idea. And I'm like, it's barely an idea. It is a community of people who, who create 
what we are building, the culture and the the championship. And so so I, I totally get it. I, I call myself a steward. People are like, you're the boss. And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, weirdly enough, people sometimes call me fearless leader. And I'm like, if you think I am at all fearless, then you <laughs> have not spent five minutes with me. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, and, I, and I think that that's totally kind of like natural that. to the entrepreneurial process. Like if you're not scared, you're doing something wrong. Uh, but I, I, I love how humble you are. Uh, but I am, I'm probably going to make you a little bit uncomfortable here. Are you ready? I'm going to sure. stick it to you a little bit. Are you proud? Um, you know, there are, uh, it, it's funny. I, I posted, um, I posted something this morning on Facebook about one of my other companies, um, where, when I am proud is when I see, uh, I see successes or impacts that, I really don't feel like I've had anything to do with, sure. Uh, but that have uh, been the result of some of my early efforts or ideation. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, still own a part of a construction company and talk about like one of the proudest moments in my career is driving by a house and seeing our sign out front and not having any idea <laughs> how that job got sourced, <laughs> knowing anything about it, but knowing that it was going to be done really, really well and probably better right. than I could have done on my own. You empowered uh, your people to do it. And that's a job, yeah. my friend. Right. That is a job and it's not right. something that everybody can do well. So I, you should be proud of that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I, um, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing with pad split. Like, um, I tell the story about, uh, Kiyosha or Gene, who are, who are two of those examples who purchased their own homes and, um, acknowledging that really I was, I was not involved in, uh, in, in the process for, for their successes, but just to see their successes and to see sure. that they have taken advantage of the opportunities. Those are certainly things that I'm proud of. There's, there's a lot of power in an idea. And just because you you aren't involved in the everyday minutia, um, you know, I, I I do think that it's really important to to acknowledge the work that you do because I'm sure it hasn't always been easy. Uh, it's uh, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, so 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 what you do is very hard. Um, I speak from personal experience when I say I imagine it's probably emotionally draining at times, oh, yeah. uh, not just from a, an entrepreneurial standpoint, but, you know, when you look at when you do work where you are forced to confront systemic issues, disparities, barriers, um, it can get very disheartening at times, um, it, it, at least at least for me, it, and I'm projecting oh, yeah. onto you, but I would say that um, I imagine that there have probably been times in your career when you've had to kind of come to terms with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, um, well, listen, I mean, we, uh, we face uh, a lot of opposition, as you might imagine, from lots of lots of different circles. I mean, sure. uh, there are uh, folks who, quote unquote, don't want those people living in their neighborhoods, and uh, they feel like they have gotten their quality of life in uh, in single family homes in a in a neighborhood, and they're they're protected, and they 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 really just they don't necessarily share the belief that the people who serve those communities deserve an opportunity to live in them. Uh, and and then on the other side, uh, we have uh, a lot of a lot of groups who just say, okay, well, rent is theft, and um, uh, we should we have no business operating as 
uh, we're a public benefits corporation, but it's a for-profit and we have no business yeah. operating as a for-profit and uh, quote unquote, exploiting uh, lower income folks. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, and what I'd encourage any, any entrepreneur prospective entrepreneur to look at is, and, and I think just people generally to focus on what's the vision, like what's your why. And yeah. for, for me, uh, the, a huge part of that vision is, uh, one, if you're going to solve this problem, uh, you have to create supply, uh, and you have to create access. Uh, yeah. and if you're not solving those two things, uh, then it's just not worth doing. Could, could I create a much more profitable business, uh, without addressing those two things? No question. There are an innumerable, uh, number of, of businesses, uh, that can be incredibly successful um, addressing some some need of a customer uh, that don't address uh, either the creation of new housing supply or the removal of some of those barriers to access. But that is part of our vision and, and why we do what we do. Uh, and every, every decision that we make as a company or that I make as a CEO uh, ultimately has to to align with that vision. For us, it's uh, to, to be a world-class marketplace that uh, enables the, the fastest and most cost-effective solutions to the affordable housing shortage. And that means addressing uh, supply and, and access. Uh, and uh, I also think that means that if we're going to scale, uh, it, it has to be as a, as a for-profit endeavor and one that aligns the incentives of all of these groups. And that yeah. you cannot sacrifice the needs of one group to the other because it's just not going to be a sustainable enterprise. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think you can take some solace in just very simple statements uh, around uh, how do you create your vision and, and why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, and you're always going to have people who disagree with you. Um, but, uh, but no one can ever accuse us of, of not being super thoughtful about uh, how we've, how we've arrived at, uh, at the model. Sure. Well, so, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna come at you from a slightly different angle. So one of the things that we like to do at Startup Hustle is we like to give actionable advice to our listeners. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs themselves thinking about becoming entrepreneurs. Um, you know, they're at varying points in their journey, but we try to give good advice and good context for folks who are, who are doing the thing. The, what are they? The makers, doers, and dreamers. And so, so one of the things that, um, you know, I've actually had some conversations around removing barriers and ways that you can implement that as an entrepreneur, you know, not necessarily working, operating within a social justice sphere, you know, like if you're selling a product or if you're selling a, a specific service, you know, so, so just as a, for instance, you know, I've had conversations fairly recently about things like drug testing. Uh, you know, is that is that a barrier to entry for folks from marginalized communities who at some point or another may have self-medicated? Or, you know, do we talk about previous felonies and, and records? And, sure. you know, why do we automatically say, oh, I can't hire you um, when really we're hoping that our criminal justice system is not punitive, but rehabilitative? Um, and so, so these are conversations that we can have. So I'm going to ask you. What are some some ways that the entrepreneurs listening at home, how can they join you in this fight to remove barriers to entry? Oh, wow. Um, 
So there are probably uh, like 20 different answers to that yeah. question popping into your head right now, but you know, feel free to just pick a couple. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the obvious answer of course is, is to go purchase pad split home in your, in your community and, and list it on the platform. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, other, I, mean, other I would suggest that. that every entrepreneur listening do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, the, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think other than that, the, the biggest piece of advice I could give is uh, number one, uh, you can't, you can't boil the ocean. Uh, and yeah. uh, you know, you, you, as they say, you have to eat the, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Um, and uh, I think figure out what is, what is actionable today uh, and uh, where, where can you have the, the greatest impact uh, on whatever that vision happens to be. Uh, but first and foremost, write the vision, literally, like write it down and, and be very explicit about which problem you are trying to solve and how you want whatever your solution happens to be uh, to how do you want it to look in five years or 10 years and how do you want it described and work backwards from there. You know, choose that objective and then every decision that you make uh, should uh, should align with that vision and, and really use it as a razor to help uh, focus your energies and efforts uh, to determine what is the what is the, the priority of important um, next steps to uh, to take uh, if you're ultimately going to to realize that vision over the next five to 10 years uh, and. It's funny. I've I've been I've been a volunteer with this this program through the Urban Land Institute called Urban Plan uh, for about twenty years now. And um, yeah, they talk about creating a vision as as students are supposed to uh, create a, a redevelopment model for this fictional community and everything being based on the vision. And, and I hadn't done that for Pad Split until I was like two years in, and. Uh, just kind of slap myself upside the head, like you, you fool! <laughs> you know why haven't? Why didn't you do this in your own company? Uh, and it was only once, uh, you know, kind of post-pandemic, when we were in a remote environment, that I was really forced to to align everyone in a fully distributed team. We have over 100 people now, um, yeah. but it it just makes the decision making process so much clearer uh, to to be able to um, to evaluate every action against that vision. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's incredibly important for anyone in, in any endeavor uh, to, to do that, whether it is an entrepreneurial endeavor, whether it's your, your, your career in, in a more traditional sense or your, your personal life or uh, whatever that happens to be and, and ultimately make your, your key decisions based on what that vision happens to be. Yeah. For sure. Well, well. So, I'm going to ask you a question, uh, and 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 I've actually been thinking that I that I I want to ask. So, so this I I've not, I don't know if I've ever asked this question as the human question on the show before, mm -hmm. but it is actually a question that I ask people. I I, I don't really like small talk. Like, what do you do? <laughs> I, I think that's a really shitty way to start a conversation with somebody. I don't care. I don't care about what you do. I care about who you are and what you're passionate about. And so one of the questions that I ask kind of as an icebreaker um, is this, and I'm really curious to hear your answer. 
So somebody hands you a blank check. Money is no object. You have unlimited funds to address one societal issue. You can only, it can only be for one thing. Mm. It can only be for one initiative. It can only be for, you, you can't, you can't say, I want to fix universal health care or create universal health care. You have to create like a program. Where do you, where do you put oh, wow. that money? Um, that's a, that's a great one. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically this one, because I think you're going to have a really interesting answer. Like I said, sure. I've never asked that one before. No, here. no, I, I ask no it in my pressure. personal life all the time. No pressure, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I would, um, you know, honestly, I, I think it would probably be, um, a, a fund of some kind, uh, towards entrepreneurship. Yeah. And, uh, I think if, if I could pick, uh, I mean, I, I truly believe in, in the power of, of small business and entrepreneurs and just, um, as I'm sure you can relate, I mean, the, the, the level of difficulty and commitment that it takes, uh, is really overwhelming. Um, but if, if I could provide, uh, unlimited source of funds, it would really be to, to fund, uh, new business enterprises. And I think I would do it, uh, certainly with, um, uh, with mentorship as a part of it. Uh, I got a ton of value out of the Techstars program. I didn't know anything about about technology, really. We love Techstars around the start of Hustle Offices. We've done several shows related to to Techstars. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I can point to is just the power of the network of, of Techstars and, um, and how that fundamentally changed uh, the, the future of our business. And as I think um, we have certainly for the last 20 or 30 years, uh, really concentrated all of, uh, or, or most of that investment uh, in opportunities in Silicon Valley. And I truly believe that talent is universal and it is international. Uh, and it is uh, not at all correlated to uh, just not just geography, but but uh, income group or um, certainly ethnicity. And any way that we can create universal access to opportunity so that when someone has an idea, uh, they have uh, an ability to uh, have the, the financial resources to pursue that endeavor, as well as access to the, the mentorship of others. Uh, and we live in a world where that's really more possible today than it ever has been at any point. Uh, in in the past, uh, and so I think that's that's definitely where I would go, and I I strongly believe in in the power of um, uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses to solve the the problems that are that are closest to them, and and solve those problems. I think the people who are closest to problems are, are most capable of solving them, and so just giving folks the ability uh, to address those uh those problems that are closest to them would would be the most compelling thing i can think of to to do with that blank check 
I love that. And, and you know, I, I firmly believe that investing in entrepreneurship means an investment in communities. If entrepreneurs are problem solvers, but they're also economic drivers. <laughs> so thank all of you entrepreneurs at home listening for the work that you do to not just sell your stuff, but to make our society better. Well, Atticus, I got to tell you, we, we have come to the end of our time together. We've actually gone a little bit over time, but I don't even care because that was a great conversation. But I do want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Absolutely. No, thanks. Uh, thanks again. This was, this was a lot of fun. And uh, as always, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and you know what we appreciate, dear listeners? We appreciate. Uh, we appreciate. Start, we, Startup Hustle's sponsor, Fullscale.io. Today's episode of Startup Start. Good Lord. Today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Also, want to remind you that if you want more Startup Hustle in your life, definitely check us out on social channels. You can find us at Startup Hustle Podcast on Instagram. You can find Startup Hustle TV, where I and the other hosts sometimes make fools of ourselves and cuss a lot about being entrepreneurs. Uh, go to YouTube, search Startup Hustle, and it should pop right up, but definitely keep an eye out for that. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy schedules to listen to us. We will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.